today we're going to talk about sort of a, I guess, a serious, um, serious subject. Um, you know, last week we started a series about discipleship called Following Jesus to the Cross. And the whole idea is that as we, um, as we believe in Jesus, part of that is actually coming and dying with him. That we actually, um, if we die, we die to ourselves and we live to Christ. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to follow the story of Jesus as it's told in the Gospel of Matthew. And basically, Jesus is on the road with his disciples as he's heading to the cross. And um, it's in this time when Jesus is actually heading to the cross that he starts talking about, hey, if you want to follow me, uh, you have to take up your cross too. Uh, you've actually got to come and die with me. And the idea is that there's no separation between um, believing in Jesus and being his follower and taking up our cross. We're all called uh, to be his disciple. And so... Um, but what he invites us into when we die to ourselves and live to him is that we find life there. Um, we find life. It's not in the consumer ways and the worldly ways that we might seek life in the week, but it's this whole new way to live in learning the ways of Jesus. And so today we're going to travel with Jesus into Matthew 18 where he addresses, got a little music there, that's good. Um, you know, they like to travel with music back then too, so... Just, you can imagine. I've got my, anybody have like their road mix CD, by the way, that they just like, oh, I'm on vacation now, you know? Um, I, I was playing that this week, even though I wasn't on vacation. Um, anyways, uh, so we can, <laughs> that's a big, long uh, thing. Um, anyways, um, we're going to come to the part where Jesus addresses forgiveness. And forgiveness really is at the core of what Jesus is all about. Forgiveness is at the core of why Jesus came to the earth so that we could be forgiven. And so what we're going to look at today is what it looks like as a follower of Christ to forgive others because we're not just forgiven for our own sake, but we're forgiven to forgive. C.S. Lewis said this about forgiveness. He said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And then to mention the subject at all is to be greeted with howls of anger. That's pretty true, isn't it? Like forgiveness is a good idea up here, but then when it gets personal, it becomes a lot harder. It becomes a lot more difficult. And you can imagine C.S. Lewis spoke this to, a World War, or to Britain that had just gone through World War II. And so he's talking to people who had lost family members. Um, he's talking to people who are having trouble forgiving a group of people who had brutalized and killed millions of people. And so everyone at that time was dealing with a fresh wound. And so it's there where he says, you know, everyone says forgiveness is great until we actually have to do it, until we actually have to forgive. We all love forgiveness until we have something to forgive. And so I want to recognize today that we all come in with some hurt in our lives, that we all come in with something, with whether it's, um, you know, whether we've hurt someone else or whether we've been hurt by others. Uh, probably all of us are dealing with, with some sort of relationship, relational problem. Uh, that could be like an unresolved hurt. Um, that could be an open conflict or something unspoken that's just been brewing for a long time. Like there's a lot 
since we're since we're all in relationship with people and since we're all human, we all have these conflicts. There's no smooth road in relationship. Every relationship that you have is bound to have trouble at some point. If it's a real honest relationship, every serious um, friendship, loving relationship that you have is bound for conflict at some point. Um, the closer you get to someone, the deeper the conflict often occurs. And I was reading a book recently called The Renovation of the Heart by Dal a guy named Dallas Willard. And he talked about sort of two ways that we hurt each other. And I wanted to, um, I wanted to put these on the screen. He talked about um, assault and withdrawal. And this is what he meant. He said, we assault others when we act against what is good for them, even with their consent. It is not only when we harm them or cause them pain against their cautious will. And so he's saying that we assault others or we hurt others when we uh, put ourselves above them, when we act out in our interest and not in their interest. And this might be intentional or unintentional. We might uh, unintentionally hurt someone that we didn't mean to. And so what he's saying is that there's assault that's obvious. There's um, abuse that happens that's obvious. But then there's also um, assault that's more subtle. It's an assault that's overworking someone so that their family life suffers. Um, it's, a, it's an assault of speaking poorly to others behind their back and hurting their reputation. Um, there's all these different forms of hurt that happens. And then he talked about how withdrawal is the other side of the coin. He said that we withdraw from someone um, when, we re when we regard their well-being and goodness as matters as indifference to us or perhaps go so far as to despise them. We don't care. So withdrawal is the passive way that we hurt people. It's when we just check out on people, like people we've been in relationship with, and then we, um, it's another way of us putting ourselves uh, before someone else, we just check out. And I think often, you know, we live, we talk about living in a consumer culture, and sometimes we treat our relationships as consumer. Like, I'm going to hang out with these people just to get what I want or just because of the way it makes me feel, but as soon as it feels bad, I'm out. And instead of addressing problems, you know, we can exercise our freedom and run. It's like the Tom Petty, you know, free-falling moment, right? We can have that. Um, but often in, in this consumer culture, we opt out of relationships just because we can. Instead of dealing with issues, instead of staying committed to a community, instead of staying committed um, in a, to a spouse, uh, when things get tough, we have options, and so often we choose to leave. And so all of us have been affected in some way or the other by either this idea of assault or withdrawal. And whatever you're dealing with, the question that we want to talk about today is this. Um, what does forgiveness look like in the life of a disciple? When we come to Jesus, when we surrender everything to Jesus, what does it look like to actually surrender our hurts, the way that we've been hurt and the way that we've hurt others, whether that's our family, our friendships, our parents? All these deep relationships often have hurt attached. How do we surrender all that to Jesus? Not just what's been done against us, but what we've done to other people. And in Matthew 18, there's this conversation that Peter and Jesus have 
between forgiveness. And you notice that Peter's always the one who's like putting his foot out there, you know, like let's talk about the real stuff, you know. And so he's the one who has this conversation with Jesus. And he, he basically asks him this thing we've been talking about, but he, he says, how often? How often am I supposed to forgive? When am I, when am I off the hook for forgiveness? And then instead of just Jesus straight up answering like he often does, he tells a story. And Jesus tells a story because there's emotion involved in stories. There's not just emotion involved in facts. And so we're going to look at this story here, the whole thing. Uh, if you have your Bibles, it's in Matthew 18. It's verse 21. Um, or you can look at the screen here. Um, it says this. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. And so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to them, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And this is sort of the hard teaching of Jesus on forgiveness. So in response to Peter's question about forgiveness, Jesus tells him this story, because this story speaks way more than just uh, sharing the facts would. He puts it in perspective. And Peter, as he approaches Jesus, he thinks he's going to impress him. Uh, the, the custom in that time is that um, you, you would forgive someone three times. It was like a three strikes and you're out type deal for relationships. So Peter thinks he's really impressive. He's like, seven times. This, this is really going to knock Jesus' socks off if I just say seven. And then Jesus doesn't respond in the way Peter thinks uh, that he should. He didn't say, way to go, bud. Man, you're awesome. Superstar. You know, whatever. Um, Jesus takes it. He always takes what we think, and he transcends it. He goes way up here. And that's the case here in this story. He says, not seven times, Peter, 77 times. And that number isn't a hard number either. He's saying, an unlimited number of times, Peter. You're supposed to forgive your brother an unlimited number of times. And hold on. 
how do I forgive someone an unlimited number of times? How do I how do I even fathom doing that? Like, won't that expose me to all this hurt and pain and suffering? There's no way in myself that I can forgive someone an unlimited number of times. And it's true, we can't do it in and of ourselves. If we tried to forgive someone over and over ag again in our own power, we would suffocate under the weight of pain and, and uh, things that were unresolved. So we need another power in order to forgive. And, w and what uh, Jesus is saying is that the only way that we can forgive someone is if we're first transformed by the forgiveness of God, which is this whole first part of this story. Unless we're transformed, unless we see what we've been forgiven, we're going to have a really hard time extending forgiveness towards someone else. And I want to be clear that forgiveness, as it talks about here, is simply the releasing of a debt. That you're releasing, your heart is releasing someone from the wrongs that they've committed against you. Um, so that often, most often, especially with major stuff, involves a conversation. Um, sometimes with the minor things, it could simply be overlooking an issue and, and releasing them from your heart. But forgiveness is your heart releasing someone else from your debt. Instead of holding it over them, it's letting it go. But it doesn't mean that it removes the pain that that event caused. It doesn't mean that it removes some of the consequences of that event. It's God isn't asking you to stay in a relationship that's abusive um, or, you, or to enable someone else's bad behavior. That's not what forgiveness is but it does mean letting go of the offense that was committed against you. And so forgiving someone might be the most challenging thing that you ever do. Um, and as Jesus tells his story, what he does is he shows us how heavy forgiveness actually is. He conveys the weight of forgiveness. He shows us the reality of the situation. And the first point this morning is this, is that nothing costs more than forgiveness. Nothing costs more than forgiveness. Jesus starts this story by showing us a picture of how badly we need to be forgiven before him. He says that our position before him is like a man who owed 10,000 talents. And I know we don't carry around talents these days, so um, just to do a little bit of explaining, a talent was, was the highest level of currency in, in this society. Um, every talent was worth about 20 years wages for a laborer like that's a lot of money um, So I did some math this really this this passage required me to do more math than I've ever had to do for a sermon I didn't like it, but I did it anyways um, It means that the man would have to work 200,000 years to pay off his debt Okay, that's a long time, right? Um, you know that's uh, 25, this is where the math comes in, that's 2,500 lifetimes, okay? So even if he worked 80 years, he'd only be able to pay off one, uh, one in 2,500th, I don't know, the fraction of the debt. We need a mathematician to do this part. But that's the point. You know, the number wasn't even the point because the number 10,000 was the highest Greek numeral at that time. So again, it's this exponential, unlimited debt that we owe God, that we could never work hard enough to repay him. 
I know sometimes it's hard to grasp that reality. Like, man, is, is my sin really that bad before God? And what this is saying is, yes, it is. That we've all assaulted him. We've all withdrawn from him. And our sin is actually that bad. That we've abandoned our creator and gone our own way. And of course, as Jesus is telling this story, he knows what the cost would be. He knows that the cost to cover our sin is going to come from his own body and his own blood. That the only thing that could actually set us free and cover this cost was that if he pays for it for his own life. And that's the gospel. That's the good news, that, that Jesus was willing to pay that cost. But as he tells Peter this story, he knows where he's headed. He knows that he'll be whipped, he'll be beaten. Um, he knows that he's going to carry his cross. He's going to get nails through his hands. He's going to bleed out on a cross. He's going to suffocate. Jesus knows what forgiveness will cost him, and he's willing to pay. We have a beautiful picture of this written in Isaiah f- uh, 53. Um, it's going to be on the screen, but it's 53.4. Now, this is written years before Jesus. This is a prophecy of Jesus, of why he came. And so for years, people had been, uh, had had this text, and it's just kind of preparing people for what Jesus would carry, the weight of forgiveness. And so I'm just going to read this this morning. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, uh, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one, every one, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So if you take a minute and you just kind of read through that, You know, is there anything that Jesus' blood does not cover for you? Is there anything that Jesus wasn't willing to bear for you on the cross? I think it's really interesting that Jesus doesn't say, come out in the beginning with our sins, not that I'm going to bear your sin. What he comes out with is, I'm going to bear your griefs. I'm going to bear your sorrows. That's the first thing that this passage says is that he would take on our griefs, is that he would take on our sorrows, the sin committed against us, to the cross with him, that he would bear that in his own body. And of course, too, he's pierced and he's crushed for our own sin. But everything that's been committed, everything that's happened, Jesus died for. And so, in order for us to find healing, and in order for us to even fathom the idea of forgiving the the wrongs committed against us. We have to go through the cross. We have to go through the cross if we're going to find healing. It's only through seeing Jesus and the cost that he was willing to pay is that we'll we'll have any perspective uh, for forgiveness in our lives. And I believe that there's no damaged heart, there's no heart damaged enough that Jesus can't heal that Jesus can't heal in his overwhelming love. When we sit at the feet of the cross and we see what's been done for us, that we can't find healing there. And so the first place that we go if we're hurting is there. It's to the cross. We go first to Jesus. We go and we stand in awe before God. Like what if this guy who was on his face before 
you know, the, the master there just took a minute to realize what had been done for him. Instead, of he treated it like a checkbox, like, okay, I'm done. I can move on with my life. But Jesus wants us to actually hang out at the cross and absorb what he's done for us. There's a pastor in Bellevue, Jeff Vanderstelt, and he told this story about a woman named Elisa. And Elisa came into his small group after her husband had left her for her best friend, which is a, a pretty, pretty major deal. And as if that wasn't enough, a little bit later, her house burned down. So this is a woman who's just devastated. You know, I can't imagine the amount of betrayal and hurt and pain all conflicting and converging all at once. And so how about that walking into your small group, right? Hey, what do you have, what do you need prayer for this week? Whoa, mic drop, right? Um, no one would have blamed Elisa for going after her ex-husband, right? You jerk. No one would have stopped her if she wanted to go and talk to him and address it right there, run after him. But, but Jeff encouraged his small group, encouraged her to go a different route, and this is what he said. This is what he wrote. He said, Elisa needed us to direct her to God for help. She needed something much better at the center of her life and attention, someone who could truly set her free and change her from the inside out. So I said, we need to give Elisa Jesus, not our efforts to change her ex-husband. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a conversation with him at some point or that we shouldn't step in to protect her. However, let's start with Jesus first. When everyone else wanted to jump on the train and just go and, and get this ex-husband, Jeff said, we need to start with Jesus first. We don't want to ignore this problem, but we need to start at the cross. We need to start with Jesus first. Because he knew that without Jesus, Elisa was just going to be consumed by anger, by frustration, by doubt. He knew that her, like, her contempt for her husband would define her life if she didn't first go to Jesus. And so our forgiveness starts with Jesus first. Before we go and track down our offender, we've got to stand before Jesus. You know, here's this man. He's, the man in the beginning realizes his condition before Jesus, and it says that he's laying on his face begging he's creating this scene he's he's just in complete like and, and no wonder this man has pity on him right because he is just destitute before him and that word pity when when that when he says the master had pity it's this word that means compassion from the gut like he couldn't help but respond and so you need to know that if you where you're at right now that God has that level of compassion for you that he can't help but want to jump into your situation. And so God was moved to act on his behalf. The master was moved to act on his behalf. The problem was in the man's response, right? He didn't operate with gratitude. He operated like it was a checkbox and just went on and, try and <coughs> went on and found the guy who owed him uh, that amount of money. And what happens is if we don't start at the cross, if we don't start with Jesus, then we're just fighting our own cause. Then it's just us. We're a vigilante for our own soul. You know, we're defending ourselves. When we enter conflict, it's all about vindication for me. You don't get to go in already satisfied in experiencing God's grace for you. 
And in, in, in this story, this forgiven man, he immediately goes out and he finds a guy who owes him 100 denarii. And because we don't carry denarii, I did more math. Um, so he, that's 100 days wages. So like, I, I don't know what that is. Uh, it's like somewhere between like 10 and maybe $30,000. You know, so he owes him like a lot of money, right? Like if somebody owed you that amount of money, like you'd want it back, right? But given the amount that he'd been forgiven, it's not really that big of a deal. It's not really that big of a deal. It's only, the big, it's only a big deal in his small little world. Um, I did more math, and um, basically um, the two amounts, the, the 100 denarii is, uh, it's, this is the percentage. It's 0.0000. 1/16th of a percent, okay? So it's just this astronomical difference, okay? Um, huge difference, and, and that's the point, is that, hey, guys, in light of my grace for you, you should have grace, you should feel compassion for other people, even your enemies, even those who have wronged you. You should be able to release that debt. That doesn't mean that forgiveness is easy, right? That doesn't mean that forgiveness is easy. You know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 is a lot to us. And if somebody owed it, we're going to be thinking about that maybe every day. But in light of what we've been forgiven and the weight that's been lifted, even if we can't comprehend it, it changes us. Jesus calls us to live in the gratitude of the forgiveness we've received, not be consumed by the debts that people have committed against us. And so as we follow Jesus into the cross, we follow him into forgiveness. We surrender those hurts to him, and we show his love to the world, really, by how we forgive other people. Forgiveness is core to who God is. Now, you may be here this morning, and, and forgiveness might be the message for you. You might be, there is something that I'm having a lot of trouble forgiving. And then there might be the flip side of that where you're like, man, I'm pretty good. Like, I think all my relationships are great, fantastic. I'm walking on easy street. Um, and you might be hearing, hearing this and think, forgiveness, check, right? But are you sure? Are you sure about that? Um, because forgiveness isn't only about the obvious. It's not about the big instances. Forgiveness is really a way of life for a disciple. It's actually a necessary part of the daily life of a disciple. And I want to show you how it works out. But this is what I would say, is that forgiveness is the dirty work of love and community. And it should be on the screen. I'm really disappointed. I forgive you, Trent. <laughs> um, <laughs> but forgiveness is the dirty work of love and community. You know what dirty work is, right? It's the work that no one wants to do but has to get done. Anybody here like dirty work? Yeah, I knew it. I knew it, Matt. I knew you liked dirty work. I was counting on you, man. Uh, yes. Um, forgiveness is the dirty work of love and community. So I watched this video this week, this National Geographic video, about sewer divers in Mexico City. Um, so Mexico City is the most populated city in the world. And their uh, sewage system is outdated and overtaxed. And they get these 
blockages, which I'm not going to go into what those could be, because I want you guys to come back. Um, but th they <laughs> they're bad. Like, they're bad. And they have guys fully suit up and go down into open sewers and remove the blockages. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine that? Like, so I, I was watching this video. A guy was an accountant and was like, I don't know how bad accounting is that you would like switch your career to go dive in a sewer. Uh, <laughs> but like, if think about if they didn't remove the blockages though, right? What's the cost if they don't remove the blockages? Everything backs up. So you've got stuff flowing back into your home. You've got thousands of people exposed to diseases like tetanus, like cholera, like it could cause a citywide epidemic if you don't have sewer divers willing to go down and remove the blockages. And so forgiveness in the same way, like it's not easy, but it has to be done regularly or like there will be crap everywhere, right? <laughs> um, sorry. Um, I hope you come back. I really do. Um, but if you don't take care of the sewer system, like, it's going to fail, and it's going to back up. You know, even though we don't want to deal, deal with the stuff that happens between us, if we don't, like, it's, it can cause this system failure. And without forgiveness, there isn't, what, basically what I'm saying is without forgiveness, there isn't really love. Like, if we're, th if we're not willing to do the dirty work of forgiveness in our relationships, then we don't really have love. Uh, Jesus said this in John 13. He said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What's important about this passage is the person who's speaking it, Jesus, that you would love one another just as I have loved you. All right, and Jesus loved us with a whole lot of forgiveness, a whole lot of forgiveness. You know, on the cross, he asks his father to forgive those who are killing him uh, because they don't know what they're doing. You know, that is the person we're following. And so this means that in our personal life, in our professional life, in our marriage, uh, we've got to get real comfortable with conflict. So, you know, we talk about forgiveness and we think about the, the big heavies in our lives, like the huge weights, but we all deal with conflict. Somebody said where two or more are gathered, there will be conflict, right? Like, it is a reality. And so many of us, like, we want to run from conflict instead of addressing issues and we just let stuff build up. And I know, like, everybody has that temptation at times. Some people love conflict, I don't understand those people, um, but some people love them. But if uh, love it, but if we're going to love like Christ, like we have to be willing to deal with conflict. What's and if we don't deal with conflict, then everything backs up. It creates blocks in our relationship with others. It keeps our love from being real and honest with each other, and it even hurts our relationship with God. It creates a distance between us. And God. That's why Peter says in First Peter that husbands need to love their wives in an understanding way, or their prayers will be hindered. 
um, he says, basically, our faith has to work itself out in our relationships. Like, if God wants us to fix things with each other, um, you know, even before we come to him, and, I, you know, we preach all the time, like, spend time with God, spend time with God. God wants us to deal with the stuff in between um, us and other people. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, if you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You know, maybe the reason why you don't feel close to God is because there's something in your life that's unresolved. You know, you haven't taken things before your brother. You know, he says in Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. So if this is an offense committed against you, um, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So the Bible is really consistent when it comes to dealing with conflict. The message is deal with it. Just deal with it. Deal with the conflict. You know, and we live in an age in 2019 where it's maybe easier to, like, switch churches or change communities and actually stay in and deal with the conflicts that come up. You know, we split over really small things. We split over preference um, instead of really choosing to love people and being willing to do the dirty work of forgiveness. And so one thing I want for our community is not that we would be an alternative to another community you had a bad experience at. Like, if you had a bad experience somewhere, like, you still need to deal with it. You still need to deal with those people, you know. And so we want to be a community where we're ridiculously committed to each other and loving each other, and that only happens when we're willing to have those conversations with each other. And I kind of think of it this way. Like, before conflict, people are nice people. Those are nice people. And it's usually because you don't know them very well, but they're nice people. But then after conflict, that's when you become a brother or sister to someone. You know, when you actually hash stuff out, when you go through something, that's when you move from being a nice person to actually being a brother or sister or an enemy. But that's, you know, another, another thing. Um, but what I've found is just in my life that conflict is really a faith move. Like you're trusting God to show up in the middle of your situation, uh, whatever that is. You know, I haven't, I've never felt amazing walking into a tense conversation, all right? I've never felt, oh, man, this is going to be so good. Like, I'm ready for this. It always happens with fear and trembling. But I've often felt really good leaving that conversation. Like, man, God, you really showed up. Like, I didn't know how you were going to build a bridge here, but you totally did. And so for us this morning, think of that. What is that conflict? You know, even write it down. Who is that person that you need to talk to? Who is, where is that break in relationship that God is asking you to address? And so as we close this morning, I want to share a story that you might have heard before. You might have heard of the person. Um, you might have heard of the story of Corey Ten Boom. Um, she was the kind of the main person in the book in the movie The Hiding Place. Um, basically, she and her family hid Jews from Nazi Germany. Um, she was a Dutch watchmaker. They hid, um, they hid the Jews in their shop and at home. And when they were discovered, her family was all sent out to this concentration camp. And her father and her sister died there. Years after that, she was speaking to a church in Germany, in Munich. 
And as Corey, w- after she spoke, she got down and she looked, and there was one of the jailers from, from the place where her father and her sister died, and he was looking her in the face. And all those terrible memories flooded back for her in that moment. And the man came up to her like it was no big deal. And he reached out her hand to shake her hand in that moment. And she wrote about this experience, and this is what she said. She said, even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing. Not the slightest spark of warmth. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness anymore than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on him. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. And that's the faith that Jesus is asking all of us to step into, is that when we step into forgiveness, when we step into conflict, that he will meet us in that place. Let's pray. Jesus, we, uh, we are so, so, so thankful, God, for the forgiveness that you've poured out on each of us. We're so thankful for the blood that was spilled. We're so thankful that you cared enough about us to intervene so that we could have life. Jesus, I pray, God, that you would just meet us this morning. Lord, this, this message means, hits a lot of people in a lot of different places. Uh, Lord, that there are hurts, um, there are conflicts, there are things that aren't resolved in our lives, God, that I believe that in your spirit you want to take care of, God. Lord, that as your disciple, that you would call us to trust you and laying them down. And so, Jesus, I pray for the strength for each of our hearts, God, the strength that you would empower us in the Holy Spirit. That's not of our strength, God, that we could extend um, the forgiveness that's required, God. It's only through your strength. So, Jesus, I pray that you would help us, God, to, to cl- realize and cling to you and trust you with our pain and with our hurt. I pray that you would help us, God, to take a step uh, towards forgiveness, that you would help us to spend time with you in the, in the weight of all that you are and the weight of all that you do and your holiness, Lord, that, that in that, that you would give us perspective over the hurt and the pain, God, in our lives. So, Jesus, I pray for everyone here, God. I pray, God, that we would be a supportive community that works things out. Lord, that when something comes up, God, that we would deal with it. Lord, when, that we wouldn't just be satisfied, God, with leaving things unspoken, but that we would press in. 
Lord, that we would seek you together, that we wouldn't just be a bunch of nice people, but that we would be brothers and sisters together, God. So, Lord, we pray for that, God. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would just meet us, God, wherever we at. If, if, if there are people who haven't experienced the forgiveness of, of Jesus for the first time, Lord, I pray that they would feel that this morning, God, that they would reach out to you and just embrace um, forgiveness at the cross. Jesus, we want you, we love you, and we absolutely need you. And so I pray for this in your precious name. Amen.